All right. Hey, listen, I'm excited because we get to kick off a new series called Wonder. And honestly, this word has been a word in my own thinking, in my own, as I've been reading, as I've been studying, it feels like uh, it's one of those words that has just captured uh, my attention because I think it describes what was experienced in the first century church. You know what I mean? Like when people were a part of what God was doing, when they were in that, um, they experienced this awe, they experienced this wonder, they felt like heaven was touching earth, and so they experienced this idea of wonder. So I love where we're going with this. So <clears throat> it actually ex um, shows one of my favorite quotes, all right? And so if you've heard of G.K. Chesterton, he wrote a book called Orthodoxy, fantastic quote, because here's what it says. I'm going to read it for you, and then I'm going to explain it. It says, if a man prefers nothing, I can give him nothing, okay? But that's not normal. Most people expect something. He says, but nearly all people I've ever met in this Western society in which I live would agree in the general proposition that we need, listen to this, we need this life of practical romance. Two sides of this. It's two sides of the same coin, so to speak. There's a practical side. There's a romantic side. He keeps going. This combination of something that is strange with something that is secure. We need, to, to, so, we need so to view the world as to combine this idea of wonder and welcome. You see, here's what I think he's saying. In every human heart, and, and God designed it this way, in every human heart there's something in us that's desiring for or wanting this sense of wonder. Even C.S. Lewis talks about this idea that if my soul longs for things that cannot be satisfied from the world, doesn't it mean that there's something beyond our world? Doesn't it mean that there's something beyond what my eye can see? And so every one of us has this idea or this sense of wonder that there's more to our world, that there's more to this life, that I was created for something more. And at the same time, we need something secure, right? A sense of welcome. Every one of us, and I'm just going to throw you into the hat, okay? But every one of us wants to know, where do I actually fit? Where, where do I belong? Where am I welcome? Where's my people? Where's my identity? Every one of us is asking or has asked that question in the past. And here's what's amazing about this. Because G.K. Chesterton, he's pointing this out to make this point. Jesus created this with this longing for a sense of welcome and wonder. And he said that the only place you can find a true sense of welcome and identity is in him. The only place where you'll get a glimpse of the wonder of the thing beyond what the eye can see is in and through him. And so he starts the church. And the church beget, becomes this doorway, like a window, where people can come to the window, see and look in and see the wonder of the kingdom of heaven. You, when I say the church, I'm not talking about building, I'm talking about a gathering. I'm talking about a group of people, you and me. We get to be a picture of the wonder of the kingdom of heaven. And so that's why I love this series, because what we're going to do uh, is a few things, and it's a little bit of a play on words, because on one side, we know that the church, again, not the building, but the gathering, it's the doorway to experiencing the wonder of the kingdom of heaven. And at the same time, you and I have friends that are far from Jesus, they don't know him yet, and we're trying to help them get to know Jesus. But they ask questions like, I wonder why... You guys sing. Seems weird to me that you would just gather 
and sing. Right? You got friends that are like, I wonder why you come together and you listen to a guy teach from the Bible and the Bible is centuries old and yet you're saying that it has an impact in my world. And so we've got friends that ask all these questions. I wonder why this happens. And so this is what we're doing with this series. We're going to answer a lot of those questions. The friends that you've got that they're asking, I wonder why the church does this. Bring them because we're going to speak directly to a lot of these things. But you need to understand we're going to answer this question and therefore we're going to explain why the church has been given this purpose of revealing the wonder of the kingdom of heaven to our world. That's our role in this. We get to be the canvas, so to speak, where Jesus paints the wonder of the kingdom. And we get to say, look how good our God is. Look at how he took me. I'm broken. I'm messed up. And he turned me into something new. How crazy is that? We get to be the place where people get to experience this. So here's some of the topics we're going to address. All right. So one of the things we're going to talk about is worship. Like, I wonder why, again, why do people sing? Why is that a thing? Uh, We're going to talk about prayer. Wait a minute, you sit around and you talk to somebody you don't see, that's weird, right? No, everybody does that, in the car especially when you're mad at somebody. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, I'm not kidding, we all do that. Okay, so we're talking about preaching the word, we're going to talk about giving, we're going to talk about taking communion, talking about getting baptized, all these things. If your friend is far from Jesus, they're going, I wonder why you would do that. That seems interesting. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about and focus on worship. And this is a little interesting because worship... Um, it took me a long time to figure out what we we're going to talk about, to be honest. Because it's, it's very broad or it's very specific. So some of us look at worship and we think all of life is worship. Everything we do is meant to glorify Jesus. That's what Paul's pointing to when he says in, in Romans 12 that this is your living, this is your act of worship. That you would sacrifice, you would give of yourself. All of life is for him. Okay, so very broad. But then there's also like worship is when we sing songs. Very specific. And so what we're going to do is we're going to just try to walk through this. But the reason I'm excited about this is because I heard something a little while ago that was very insightful, but it also upset me. There was a pastor who said something. I was like, I feel the same way. And I hate that that is actually at least partially true. And here's what he said. He said, you know, when you look at the history of the church, at least maybe the church here in America, it seems that at some point there was a great divorce that has now produced word churches and spirit churches. There are these churches that say, we're all about the word. And then there are these churches that seem to say, like, we're all about the spirit. And the great tragedy is the fact that these things aren't actually mutually exclusive. Like, how in the world do you be a word church and not be fully dependent on the Spirit to show up and speak through His Word and lead you in the ways of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, how in the world can you be a spirit church if you're not fundamentally dependent on the Word to guide you? And so what's amazing to me is in our church, we've been running after these things. We want to be, we want to see the marriage of the Word and Spirit being the things that found, they, they are our foundation and they're driving us and they're guiding us. And it's one of those things that we've been pursuing it and we're pursuing it more and more and more. And listen, none of us are perfect, right? We get that. You can look to the person next to you and be like, they're not perfect, right? Everybody, we, we know that. But here's the deal. We are devoted to this. We are devoted to pursuing this. And I think that's 
good enough. Because here's the thing that's encouraging, not just in our church, but I think Jesus is doing something really special to awaken the church in America. He's kind of bringing some cool things together. He's inspiring. He's shaking. He's awakening his church. And we get to be able to say, God, do whatever you want to do. We're all in. We're ready for this. We want to see you do what you want to do. So with all that in mind, we're going to jump into a story about worship. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to 2 Chronicles 20. Some of you are like, is that in the Bible? Um, it is. So 2 Chronicles 20. Um, if you have a Bible or you're looking at the one here in the room, page 373. Or you can go 1st 2nd Samuel, 1st 2nd Kings, 1st 2nd Chronicles. That's where it is in the Old Testament. If you don't have it, we're going to put it up here. But I want to encourage you. This is a really interesting story. And as I was thinking about worship and like what it means for us to be a worshiping community, uh, this story just like grabbed my attention. So I'm going to give you literally five more seconds and then I'm just going to start reading, okay? But so 2 second, uh, second Chronicles chapter 20, here's what's happening. Jehoshaphat, who is a real name and a real person, um, he's been reigning over Judah. And he's one of these guys who actually was doing it right. You read through the story of our history and the church's history and the people of God's history and you're like, how in the world can we be so messed up and yet God still use us? It doesn't even make sense. But Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, he actually turned it around. There were all these altars built to false God, and he was going around tearing them down. And he was finding a way to get his people, the people of Judah, back, focused on God, listening to, pursuing, running after the God of their fathers. And so that's, it's been overall a very peaceful reign. It's been a very good thing because God's favor has been on them. But we're going to read a story where we hit some bumpy patches, all right? So, here we go. We're going to start 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them, the Meonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. So that's the problem. It's been peaceful. It's been great. God's favor's been on them. But now they're jumping into a battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom and from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hezazon to... Uh, Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. And look what happens. He set his face to seek the Lord. When he was afraid, when something was against him, what was his first response? To set his face on the Lord. To seek him out. And he proclaimed, look at this. He proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah, and they came to seek the Lord. Think of how amazing that would be if we heard something horrible was coming and our nation said, everybody, seek out our God. That would be an interesting time of reign. And this is kind of where they were. So while the people of Judah were devoting themselves and seeking protection and seeking guidance, a Levite speaks up, all right? And so here's the thing, whenever you run into your own little battle, whenever you've got your own little hard thing in your life, you set your face to seek the Lord. You should be asking, what's my next step? Lord, where is my help going to come from? How are you going to get me through this? Help me do whatever, whatever you're praying. And if you seek him, you should listen. Because what happens is the people sought him and God speaks up. He gives them guidance. He gives them assurance. And so the Levite says, listen, God has 
said, this is not our battle, but it's his. He's already going to take this thing. We just have to show up and watch the salvation of our God show up on the battlefield. So jump down to verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Again, think of how he's just simply responding to how God is showing up in his life. And the Levites of the Korathites, of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in a very loud voice. So picture this. This Levite stands up and says, it's not our battle. It's God's battle. And the king and all the people fall to their face and worship. And then the Levites stand up and they just start singing. They start praising. They start shouting out, thanks to God, praise to God. So that's the scene that we're in. In verse 20, look at where he goes. And they arose early the next morning and they did what the Lord said. This Levite said, hey, this is what God said we should do. So the next morning, they do exactly what he said. So they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. You saw his face. You asked him for protection. He has said what he's going to do. Now believe him. How many of us have asked God for something, and he said, okay, I'm going to do this, and you didn't believe him? Like, I've taken your shame from you, but you tend to s step back into it. He said, I've actually removed this. So it's interesting here. He, he, he encourages them to believe what God has said to them. And he says, and if you do this, you'll be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And we had taken counsel with the people. All right, everybody tune in right here. He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Did you just hear the battle plan? The battle plan is rally the choir. Get the robes out. Send the, and the choir's going like, are you sure about this? You know, but he, so he says, God's already got the victory. He's, this is his battle now. And so the king says, send out the singers. We're not coming to the battle with chariots. We're not coming with swords. We're coming with singers. And they're going to say, listen, praise God. His love endures forever. Give thanks to him. He's already won the battle. That is a different place of trust. That is a different place of dependence. They had such a response in worship. And here's what's crazy. We're going to talk about what are the things that we learn from this. But look what happens. He sends out the choir first. And the battle's behind them going like, you guys got this, you know. In verse 22, look what happens. And when they began to sing and praise. Okay. When they began to sing and praise. The Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. <laughs> this story blows my mind because it, it doesn't make sense. Like in my way of thinking, God says, I'm for you, and then I have to figure out how to make it happen, which is very unbiblical. When God says, I'm for you and I've got this, he will do it. And King Jehoshaphat understood that. 
because he had turned into a worshiper. So here's the question. What can we learn about worship from this story? All right, what can we learn? I'm going to give you three things. Here we go. Number one, worship is a response to the person and presence and power of the Lord. It's simply a response. Worship is a response. The Greek word that is used most often for worship when you read through the, the story of the Gospels, and there's actually not a lot of talk about worship in the epistles, but then in Revelation it's talked about a lot. But proskuneo, okay? It's this idea, it literally means to kiss towards, but it's this picture of to hit your knees, to bow low. It's this idea of make yourself low because God is great. Our God is bigger. Our God is great. So the picture is to worship is to bow. And the same thing in Hebrew. The main word used in reference to worship is to bow. And as you get to know Jesus more, it will impact how you respond to him. As you get to know him more, you will want to make him greater. As you get to follow him more, as you step up to whatever battlefield you're in, if he's fought your battles before, you're going to be like, he's got this. So, you, so worship is about a response to the person and presence and power of God. For King Jehoshaphat, when he heard that the Lord was going to be with him, the Levite said, don't worry, he's got the battle. And our God is going to be with us. His response was to hit his knees, his response to get on his face. And everybody's learning from the king, and we're going to get on our face because our God is with us. That was his initial response. That's why when you look around each week, you see different kinds of response here at the church. Right? We got, and now when we're talking about responding in worship through singing. So you do see people singing. That's pretty awesome. You see some people who are like crazy. They're like this. Right? Some of you are like, man, my shoulders, I can't handle that much. You know what I mean? But it is one of those things that as you, as you get to know the Lord more, you, you discern how you should respond to him. And I love Pastor Cam was saying this the other day. Like, what is, when you read through scripture and it talks about this childlike faith, what is more childlike than a man raising his hand during worship? Right? Like, I surrender, you know? Or, Father, I'm yours. Or I want more, whatever it is. But it's when, when you get to see him and know him, you respond. And, and let me just give you, you don't have to start here. Here, you can start like this, watch. This is a safe place, right? This is a safe, does everybody see this? You can start right here. But here's what it does. This posture actually says, my hands are open, Father. You fill it, right? So you can, the, the posture is important, but the idea is respond to him, respond to him. Some people clap. Some people are better at this than others, um, but that's still a response. And so, you know, as we're singing and as we're worshiping, it is okay to, some of you are like elbowing each other, all right? Let's not get too crazy here. All right, listen, some people stop themselves because they're like, man, this song is so familiar, I'm not even thinking. And so they stop and they reflect on the words and they go, man, I don't want to miss any aspect of who Jesus is, so I'm going to just focus I'm going to, instead of sing, I'm going to say these words. I'm going to say them from my heart. I'm going to say them it's because that's how you respond. And it's okay that all of us have different ways of response. And Jesus is inviting us to continue growing in this. 
So wherever you are now, anticipate that he's inviting you to respond even more. Some people come forward in response at the end of the service because they've been a part of worship and singing. They've been a part of worship by hearing the word and they feel like the Lord says, it's time for you to take a step. And you've seen them. You've seen the courageous people. And honestly, in our own hearts, we should be like going crazy for them because it's this idea of I'm courageously saying I'm putting my trust in Jesus now. Or it's somebody who says, I've been carrying a weight too far, too long, and I'm inviting somebody to now pray with me. Help me walk through with God. Help me walk through this. And we should rally as people respond. Listen, honestly, this is why we even laugh in our services. And let me just say this. When Pastor Cam's making a joke, do us all a favor and laugh, please. You know, I, we get it. We've heard them all. They're great. But, you know, just he needs that. OK, but but it's one of those things that, you know, this is it's like it's okay. this is family. This is a part of who we are. And it's a family looking at our father going, man, our God is amazing. And so responding is a part of that for me. Um, I've had to kind of grow in this because I'm way too people oriented I'm always thinking about what someone else is thinking about about me, right? And I don't know, I might be the only one in the room, okay? So that's okay, but here's the deal. I've had to start letting go of what I think other people are thinking when they're thinking about me. Okay, thank you, all right? It was confusing to myself. Um, and start holding on to what is pleasing to God. In your own spirit when he says, what if you got on your knees right now and you did it? Or what if you raise your hands right now and you surrendered? So as for all of us, I think this is the journey we need to be on when it comes to worship. Let go of maybe what we're thinking about, what other people are thinking, taking hold of what is pleasing to God, what is glorifying to God, what is making the most and lifting him up, okay? So that's number one. We learn from this story and throughout scripture that worship is a response. Here's the second thing. Worship, it's not a matter of the place. It's not a matter of the posture. It's a matter of the heart. Okay, for Jehoshaphat, the place was a battlefield. The place was a battlefield, and he turned it into a worship service. Okay, so it's not about the place. It's not about the posture. It's about the heart. And I want to jump back to 2 Chronicles 17. Here's what happens. We learned that the king rallied the people around the word. He said, listen, we are a people of the word. We're not only going to listen to what it says, but we're now going to do what the word of God says. And so for years, Judah has been coming back to the word, coming back to his commands, coming back to his laws, his ways, his mind. And what you see is as they became a people of the word, they then became a worshiping people. That's how it works. So it starts on the inside. It starts from the heart and then it produces everything. Because when it's a matter of the heart, any place becomes a place of worship. When it's a matter of the heart, any posture can be a way in which you are seeking out or making much or giving thanks or giving praise to God. The reality is you can do the hand motions and your heart still be far from him. That's the danger of religion. You can do the motions. And your heart can still be way far from him. But having a worshiping heart is what makes every place and every posture potentially glorifying to him. Think about Peter for a second. All right, this idea of it's a matter of the heart. It's not about the place. It's, not, it's a matter of the heart. So Peter, there's one day, remember when he was on the boat, and it was a storm, and Jesus was walking on the water. 
And then he gets close enough to where they realize that it's Jesus. And what does he say? Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come out there. If it was me, I would have said, if it's you, get in the boat. But <laughs> Peter's crazy. He, so, so he says, if it's you, tell me to come out there. And Jesus is like, okay, come on. And so he gets out of the boat. He's walking on the water. You can read this story. He's walking on the water, but then he gets distracted, right? He gets distracted because of the waves. He gets distracted because of the storm. He gets distracted by all things. He takes his face off of Christ and sets it on something else, and he begins to sink. So Jesus rescues him, gets him back to the boat, and then he silences the storm. What happens right then? The disciples worship. You remember that part? Here's Peter, this disciple who's intended to lead this movement of Christ followers. This disciple who's intended to be a picture of faithfulness. But in that boat, soaking wet, he's a picture of a disappointment because of his lack of faith. And even in that place, he worships. Because it's a response and in that place when he worships, all of a sudden his heart becomes more bought into the kingdom. Because worship, it's a matter of the heart. Here's the third thing. Ready? Worship is how we war against Satan and the darkness of our world. Some of you are like, that was a crazy turn. Okay, let me just read it again. just so, And then I'll explain it, alright? Worship is how we war against Satan and the darkness of of our world. Remember the story. Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah confident that God was going to deliver them from death on a battlefield. So the next morning, they're not sending chariots, not sending swords. What are they sending? Singers. They're sending singers to stand on the battlefield and shout out to the other army, give thanks to our Lord because his steadfast love endures forever. They're shouting out in the battlefield to remind the enemy and to remind their own people that our God will deliver us. Our God is strong enough to get us through this. It's not our battle. It's his battle. And this might sound like an obscure passage in the Old Testament, but this happens all throughout. Think about Paul. So Paul was this man who turned his heart over to Christ because God rescued him. And then he began spreading the gospel like wildfire. The Spirit used him to start churches in all kinds of cities. And so he's this phenomenal missionary where churches are exploding in different towns. But at the same time, what happens is he gets beat up a lot, right? He gets beaten. He gets kicked out of the town. He gets stoned on one occasion. He gets shipwrecked. He gets all this stuff. One time, he and his buddy Silas get beaten within an inch of their life, thrown into a pit and chained to the wall. And he has now entered into his battlefield. Do you know what he does? He sings. You remember that? He sings to remind his own heart and to remind his enemy that our God prevails. Our God is good. I might be in prison, but our God is good. Think about Jesus, right? The night he was betrayed. He gathers his disciples, and they eat the Passover meal together. The whole time he's explaining, I'm the Passover lamb. Do you get it yet? 
I'm the one who's going to give my life for the sin of humanity. I'm the one who's going to pour myself out on a cross so that you and the rest of the world will at least have an opportunity to experience reconciliation with the Father. So they're sharing this Passover meal. And then they leave the table of the meal. And then they walk to the Mount of Olives, his battlefield. Do you remember what happened there? He prayed, God, if there's any other way, take it from me. If there's any other way for me to not have to drink this cup, then please provide it. But your will be done. Sweating drops of blood, fearful, distressed out of his mind. What happened between the table and walking to his battlefield? Do you remember? He and his disciples sang. Isn't that interesting? That this is not just something that shows up in an Old Testament thing. It seems like God has been using this. God has given us these gifts so that we could see that there's power to this. There's a way for us to keep moving in this. Don't miss this. this when you sing, you're reminding yourself and you're reminding the evil one of who our God is. You're reminding him that our God is good. You're reminding him of how powerful our God is. You're reminding him of things that he has done. You're reminding him that our God died on a cross and then he defeated death by coming out of the grave. You're reminding him that God buried my shame on the cross. You're reminding him that if our God is for us, there isn't anything that Satan or the darkness or this world can possibly bring against us. Every time you sing, you remind yourself and you remind the enemy that our God is greater than this. Our God is bigger than this, right? And here's what's crazy. Satan knows this. He knows he can't win. So if he can make the church sleepy, he will. If he can make the church fall asleep, that's the safest thing he can do. And so for us, it's time to wake up. It's time to awaken, right? It's time to, like, nothing can stand against us. We have been given the charge and the purpose of making much of Christ in our world. And the church needs to wake up. We need to run after this. We need to make this happen. We need to be a part of making much of Jesus in our world. And so nothing can stand against us. Just like Jehoshaphat, we hear the reality that our God is with us. So worship for us becomes a way to war against darkness. God has given us great gifts as his people to fight day-to-day -day battles. You ready? It's his word and it is worship. It's his word and it's worship. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 5 and again in Colossians 3, he writes the same kind of thing with a little nuance between the two, but in Colossians 5, at verse 18, look at what he says, okay? Look at what he says. He says, do not get drunk with wine because that's debauchery. Apparently the church in Ephesus had a problem with this, okay? So he says, don't get filled up on wine, but be filled with what? The Spirit. Don't be filled up on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, 
spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you did not know that worship was a response, if you didn't know that worship was a matter of the heart, if you didn't know that this is how we war against the enemy, then when you get to this part of what Paul is saying, you're like, what? That seems really random. How in the world are we supposed to do this? But here's what's interesting in this passage. You ready? We're gonna, I'm going to make this happen right now. Paul leads us to an interesting tension. He leads us to a place where our theology and our experience seem to not match up. Because he says, be filled with the Spirit. It's like, well, I thought I was filled with the Spirit. I thought that if I was in Christ, that he gave me his spirit, that was part of my baptism, that was part of my commitment to trust him, that I would be with him and he would be with me and I would abide in him and he would abide in me and I would be filled and I would be satisfied in him. And I said, so theologically, I thought that was my reality. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are eternally his. He's not going to lose you. He's not going to leave you. There isn't any place in our world that you can go where he will not be with you. Read Psalm 23, Romans 8, and all throughout Scripture, and you find it. But here's the part of being human, is that we leak. We're broken. Whether you're pouring out and serving and loving other people, or whether it's just a part of your life, as humanity, we tend to leak. But here's what's amazing about this. You are always in Christ, and His Spirit is always with you. But you were designed to keep coming back to Him. Do you get that? You were designed to keep coming to Him to be satisfied in Him. Listen, He's the source of living water. And so you need to keep coming back to Him because He, you need to drink your fill of who Christ is. He says He's the bread of life. That means that you need to keep coming back to Him so that you are satisfied in Him. He designed it this way because He wants relationship with you. He could have designed it another way. But he, creator God, said, I want to be close. I want you to know that I know you. I want you to know me. I want to be with you. I want you to experience welcome in my family. I want you to experience the wonder of a God with limitless power. But I want it in relationship. I want you to keep coming to me. So yes, you do have Christ. You are in him. You are eternally his. He is in you. He is eternally in you and with you. But you leak. And so keep coming back to him. And it's all by design so that you would have relationship. But how do we do this? What did Paul say? How do we get filled up? What did he say? He said we sing. That's at least part of it. We worship. That's part of it. The very least, we can understand that there is power to worshiping through song that enables us to live his life through us. There's power in it. There's something about it. There's a mystery to it as well. But there's something about worshiping our God that fills us and sustains us. So let me close by quoting another one of my favorite things. My favorite devotional is My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. If you're looking for something to read, fantastic thinker, brilliant guy. Um, read anybody who's just really old and most likely they'll get good stuff. So, um, so Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest, 
It's really amazing. Uh, this summer, I met with one of my dearest mentors, a.k.a. my mom, um, and she pointed me towards this particular devotion to help me understand worship in a more helpful way. And here's how the devotion begins. You ready? He says, worship is giving God the best that he has given to you. You see how crazy this is? He provides the very thing that you need to worship him best. Think about it in terms of a song. Where do we get all the words from the songs? They're his words. And he has given us his words that we then sing back to him. Because worship is giving God the best that he has given you. And listen, giving God back the best that he has given to you is how we live in the wonder of his kingdom. Worship's a part of it. It's how we take a step in. It's how we taste heaven while having our feet planted on earth. So that's the invitation when we worship. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love for us. We're so thankful that we've been given an opportunity to uh, know you and experience life with you. And I pray for our church family that we would become worshipers. We are already worshipers. We are created for it. But I, but I think the idea is that you're inviting us to be more devoted to this, to step into this even, in an even greater way. You're inviting us to respond to you and your goodness. So help us to think your thoughts. Help us to live your life. Help us to worship you because you're the only one worth it. We pray in your name. Amen.